Hi, welcome to Season 2, Episode 26 of the Pictures Out There podcast series with Lee Stewart and Dave Fogelman. In today's episode, Lee and Dave will revisit the 2020 book Aftershock. They'll look at some more essays from thought leaders about the future of our world. Let's explore. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, thank you, Candy, for that kind introduction. Hello, everyone. This is Lee. And this is Dave. And we are back once again to our podcast series, Pictures Out There. Caring about the future is going to be the topic of this podcast. Hmm. And we're going to have a discussion of some of the essays from a book we've referenced in previous podcasts. It is titled Aftershock, published in 2020. We strongly recommend it as an excellent read. Today, we're going to talk about a few of those essays from Aftershock. We're going to note some of their key themes, how those themes intersect and connect to some of the pictures out there concepts. And we'll also provide our own thoughts and reactions to these themes. So when you need to abbreviate one of the essay's quotes, we've been very, very careful to do that in the context of taking care not to change the meaning of the points and perspectives of the essayists. So we've done our very, very best to maintain the integrity of those quotations. So let's get started, Dave. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so our first essay is called The Emerging Utopia, and it's by Byron Reese. Byron is an Austin-based author. His books include The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and The Future of Humanity. So let's read a quote from Byron's essay. Almost all economic growth comes from technology. Technology is a trick our species learned way back. Those who worry that advances in technology will be bad for people because it will eliminate jobs have always puzzled me. More productivity is always good for people. And if that isn't true, then we should lobby to require everyone to work with one arm tied behind their back. (laughs) There is a real difference between creating enough of the good stuff and everyone having enough of the good stuff. But there are encouraging signs all around that we are heading in the right direction. The number of people in abject poverty is declining, as is the number of hungry people in the world. The world's middle class is expanding. Progress is unacceptably slow, but it is constant. End of the quotation from Byron Reese's essay. My immediate reaction and thoughts in response to Byron's essay are the following. There's typically a a political bugaboo that goes with technological advances. And it sounds something like this. We're going to lose 500,000 jobs if we don't support XYZ industry. But rarely do we talk about what he indicates here, which is in the loss of those jobs, new sector opportunities are going to arise. Right. 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 So we may lose 500,000 jobs and gain 1 million jobs. Right. That calculus is rarely discussed. Yeah. We've talked before when we have gone over some of these essays about frequently they show two sides of a coin for something that's going to be happening in the future or that we've started seeing as a trend. And this seems like another example of somebody saying there is change that happens with technology, but look at the opportunity and seize it. There's another piece here where 
ideals and the notion of what we're going to go do and are we going to do those by our ideals that we set up, hopefully our highest ideals, that really becomes the key question where he talks about there being a difference in creating enough of the good stuff and then everyone having Having it. it. Yes, It's not just enough to create it, but the fact of everybody sharing in that benefit becomes a, a key thing. And I think that becomes easier to do we would say, when there is a clear picture. So as he's talking about technology and what's going to happen, Lee's brought up in my mind a great point, which is part of the picture you have to create is that transition where people may change jobs, where, Mm -hmm. you know, people, what they're, what they're using and how they're using it changes and evolves. And if there's a clear picture of how that's going to happen, it's much easier for people to embrace it and not be afraid of it. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciated your observation about connecting this to ideals, right? Mm-hmm. If the ideal becomes productivity is going to enable more people to have more, mm-hmm. isn't that where we should go? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Another quotation from Byron Reese's essay states, this is why I, Byron, is so excited about artificial intelligence. Imagine what will happen to productivity when everyone is effectively smarter. We live at the great turning point of history, the moment that we will overcome scarcity and build a better world for all. We live at the moment when the rate of technological advance is so fast that it will give all humans superpowers. I believe we will do this, for it's no longer a question of ability, it's merely a question of will. We must simply decide to live in this world to will it into being, And we and our children and all who come after us can occupy it. I love this picture that he creates. To me, the the word that comes up is partnership. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that word in some other podcasts. And so when he talks about everyone is effectively smarter, well, we're not as a standalone being. Right. Right. But we're in partnership. Yes. With this new form of intelligence Intelligence. that makes us more productive, that helps us make better decisions. There's an element of that where we lots of times, again, want to leave technology at arm's length. Yeah. And act like it's not something that we're a partner on because we have to be superior Mm -hmm. on everything. Yeah. It's a thing apart from us and we need to change our thinking to go know that it is with us. Yeah. So I love the picture of collaboration that, that he really creates with artificial intelligence or advanced intelligence, as we say. Yes. And then I love his call to courage Mm -hmm. and bravery Mm -hmm. and saying, go live, go live. And sometimes we have a hard time, you know, being brave (laughs) and seeing the changes coming and embracing it and living in it. Yeah. There are so many reasons that we should not move forward. There's so many reasons to say, I'm not going to embrace that change. Right. Rarely do we flip our mindset to say, oh, that change is going to benefit me and everyone else I can think of. Let's go. Right. Okay. Let's move on to another essay. This one is called New Maps of the Future, From Forecaster to Changemaker. And it's by Anne Lise Kerr. And she leads an ideas and trend management consultancy group and is a frequent media commentator on trends. So here's some quotes from her. The futurist's role is not only mapping, but also making leaps that help us develop constructive strategies for change. We all have the opportunities to spot those patterns, to become change makers. One of the great opportunities for businesses in the 21st century is to help people to do the right thing. Designing sustainable products and services is not always straightforward, but it is an investment in the future. Choosing to not think in terms of profit first and foremost is still a wildly radical concept 
for some organizations. What? Don't think profit first? I, I can't believe this. As a capitalist, I reject <sighs> that. <laughs> so my reaction to uh, Ann Kerr's essay here is really back to ideals, as you stated previously, thinking about designing sustainable products and services, thinking about all the things we should be doing to ensure a good future. Well, the profit motive generally gets in the way of our thinking when it comes to that. So she's saying, hey, do the right thing, and the right thing inevitably will benefit everyone. Yeah, two things stood out to me with this, Lee. One was we all can be change makers, And so it's an invitation. Mm -hmm. We see this as a current thing. Embrace it. Go live it. Have courage. Right. You all can be change makers. Yeah, don't wait for someone else to take the first step. And I think there's a repeat theme in a lot of these essays that we read. The invitation is to everyone. This is helping everyone be involved, but you have to go seize it. You have to go take advantage of it. And there's a second piece here where the question that came to mind as I was reading this was, are we happy when others are happy? So there's just a a Mm -hmm. basic question that comes along here of all these things that are good. Again, do I lose something if somebody else is made happier, but I'm not? Yes. And I hope we answer yes. Yes. We all want other people to be happier. We have to fight against our natural kind of zero-sum thinking. Yes. Yeah. So further from Ann Kerr's essay, quote, This is what I see as the power of one a realization that we are all part of something bigger than ourselves and that we all can become change makers. There's that word again. Mm -hmm. Every success starts with a vision and then the decision to try to make it happen. The future is not about corporate think, but about diversity of thoughts, skills, and mindsets to foster genuine entrepreneurship and positive outcomes. It is liberating and exciting to remind ourselves that the future is not somewhere we go, but something we create. As individuals, whatever our role in society or our place within an organization, all of us can be active in this. The world badly needs change makers and ultimately visionary leaders ready to listen and then shape the future we want. End of her quote. I really, really love the line. The future is not somewhere we go, but something we create. Oh, that one just jumped out at me, too. That's, that's one of kind of the two main thoughts I had. The other one I had, Lee, is this sequence that she describes of the world badly needs change makers. And then I'm tempted to put in then ultimately visionary leaders ready to listen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as opposed to this top down, okay, a leader is off somewhere determining what's going to happen, she flips that around and says, no, everybody can be a change maker. And then leaders, and we've talked about the importance of sharing power in our own leadership model with pictures out there. Yes. Then visionary leaders listen Listen. and then take all of that input and help shape with people the future. So that's a definition of a leader as a facilitator, if you will, which is different from our paradigm of top-down thinking, creating the direction, offering commands that the rest of us will follow. And again, if you link that to the idea of our futures, not somewhere we're going, but it's something that we create that absolutely links to the pictures concept. All right. So here's a quote that was noted in another essay. And we're not going to talk about that essay, but this quote within that essay was just terrific. It's a quote from the science fiction author Douglas Adams, 
who once described our reactions to new technologies in roughly the following terms. Anything that is in the world when you were born is natural, normal, and ordinary. Anything that is invented between the ages of 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary, and you can probably get a career in it. Anything invented after the age of 35 is against the natural order of things. <laughs> oh, man. I just love this quotation. There's so much to this. And that last line is laughable. Anything after the age of 35, that's going against the natural order of things. One of my first reactions to this is thinking about what we call the digital native generation. Those are people who grew up in a time when they never knew the world without the World Wide Web, without mobile devices, without all kinds of digital technology that are absolutely commonplace now. Yep. Digital natives fit into this first category of anything that is in the world when you're born, you view as natural, normal, ordinary. And Lee, I, this is something where the quote just points out, this is a trap. Yes. This, this is a <laughs> trap. And we just all have to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Every generation needs to avoid it as much as possible. And individually, we need to avoid it. And I think my first thought about, well, how do you avoid that? To me, the biggest thing to avoid this is lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. Lifelong learning and maintaining a high level of curiosity, curiosity and speaking and acting helps you avoid this trap. It helps individuals avoid this trap and helps generations avoid that trap if there's an atmosphere and an environment for lifelong learning. Let's turn our attention to an essay from Barry O'Reilly. The title of that essay is Get Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. Ah. O'Reilly is a business advisor, an entrepreneur, and a best-selling author. He writes for The Economist, and he is on the faculty at Singularity University. He references an Alvin Toffler quote. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and then relearn. Oh boy. There comes a time in the life of every individual when doing the things that brought you success in the past no longer delivers the same results. The world evolves, conditions change, and new norms emerge. Instead of adapting, people find themselves stuck in their patterns of thinking and behaving. Most don't realize the new situational reality until it bites. Ooh. Okay, and I think we've probably all individually, I know I have, Lee would say he probably has, we have, in the course of our life, been caught sometimes mm -hmm. where we do a shortcut mm -hmm. on a situation. Mm -hmm. And instead of maybe taking that extra time to really assess what's going on in the landscape of an issue we're working on or something we're trying to accomplish, we go, yeah, it's probably this. And we do a shortcut, try something that worked before, right. and it fails miserably. Absolutely. you know. And then we're left with, what the hell? It worked in the past. Yeah. yeah. Why did this not work? In my experience, lots of times where that's happened with me, it's because of just skipping steps. Yeah. And going, I don't really want to do the critical thinking mm -hmm. about what's going on with this. I just want to get it done. Mental shortcut. I think this will just go work. And yeah. it's the same thing that catches us with unconscious biases. Yes. Right? We've talked about the, the shortcuts there. And so it's just critical for us to not make assumptions about all of our prior tactics working again. And to me, part of the way out of this is, well, you're not going to completely get rid of something worked before. I'm going to try it again. 
lots of times that shortcut does work pretty well. I think for me, the biggest thing has been I need to keep my awareness at a high level. And if I see that it's starting to not working or if I see that I miss something, mm-hmm. catch it early. Yes. Catch it early and make adjustments or even discard the tactic and do something different. Yeah, absolutely. And this connects to what we just discussed a few moments ago around curiosity. If we can try our best to maintain curiosity, it mitigates against those mental shortcuts that get us in trouble. So another quote from O'Reilly's essay, the system for breaking outdated behavior and thinking is the cycle of unlearning. And these are the steps. One, unlearn the behaviors and mindsets that keep you from moving forward. Two, relearn new skills and strategies necessary for true transformation through safe experimentation. Three, break through old habits by opening up to new ideas and perspectives. The key is to have the humility to recognize that what you are doing is not working. Fear of change or fear of failure is also a strong indicator for the need to unlearn. Mm -hmm. So I love, first of all, the lifting up of humility. Yes. And I think that's actually what I was alluding to a minute ago, where you go into it and say, I think this is going to work. I'm going to try this. It seems like the right thing. I'm going to have the humility, though, to watch it and quickly recognize when it's not. Yes. And then have the humility to back off from that and do something different. Yes. And I also love this notion of if I'm afraid of change or I'm afraid of failing, that's an indicator. Absolutely. I need to unlearn something. Yes. And isn't, isn't that lots of times then when we fight learning the most? Yeah. We get afraid. It's fear-based. It's fear-based. Yeah. And so this quote is saying, no, that's actually your indicator of the opposite. Right. Right. And so there's this conflict of fear and courage that we're going to talk about in some additional podcasts that's an ongoing thing we deal with. Continuing from O'Reilly, here are some things you can do and the mindset you should adopt to begin your own successful unlearning journey. Your unlearning journey. First, reignite your curiosity. There's that word again. Mm -hmm. Think big, but start small. Take ownership of the problem. Become a role model. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Don't ever stop. Hmm. Unlearning is a virtuous cycle of continuous self-development. Think big, but start small. And I might be tempted to add and celebrate. Celebrate small successes. Absolutely. It creates momentum. Celebrate the fact that you're acting. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's uh, trying new things. Right. I love don't ever stop. And that's hard for some of us. Very hard. Because aren't we judging ourselves all along all the way? All along the way, sure. Are we doing good? Are we not doing good? And sometimes we just want to bail on something even when the breakthrough is just on the horizon. Yes, absolutely. And continuous self-development. Oh. Yeah. Really? I'm I so just tired have, of self-development. I'm so tired. I just is went it, to two conferences and read three God. books because my boss said that I should. I'm so tired of I'm learning. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of learning. I'm, I'm as good as I'm going to get. Yeah, this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is all I want to do. <laughs> you know, there, there's more on the horizon for all of us. Okay, so the final essay that we're going to talk about today is called On Building a Future That Matters. It's by Lisa Bodell, and she is the CEO of FutureThink, and also the best-selling author of Kill the Company and Why Simple Wins. And she's a global leader on simplification and innovation. So here's some quotes from Lisa. Fifty years ago, when someone asked, how are you doing? 
the typical response was, I'm good. And you? Mm -hmm. Today, if someone asks, how are you doing? You know what the most common answer is, busy. The sheer volume, velocity, and variety of change we experience continually creates an unfamiliar environment for people and often leaves them feeling unmoored. The good news is that today, change and innovation are mainstreamed and expected. Reflecting on Toffler's work, I found myself writing down two themes. One, the problem of complexity. Two, the need for meaning. They take on a much deeper significance today than probably even Toffler imagined. Complexity is the enemy of the meaningful. In today's world, change allows us to do more. But is it what we want to be doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love that idea about how complexity is the enemy of meaning. Yeah. Right? A lot of the work that I do that I've referenced in previous podcasts and education and in executive coaching is helping people find meaning in the complexity that they're involved with. And that could be professional complexity, personal complexity, some combination of the two. But when we get lost in this morass of busyness and complexity, it's very, very easy to stop and go, what is any of this worth? What does it mean? What value does it provide? All of those questions need to be confronted. When I read this quote, it immediately brought up a topic from earlier podcasts that Lee and I had done and the notion of simple to complex to simple. Absolutely. That, that's exactly, that's exactly what, this, what is. this is. Yes. <laughs> and it's saying you have to, we deal with complexity, it's unavoidable, but the ability to pull out of the complexity what the simple, simple, most meaningful, most important things are is a key skill really, in our world today. On top of that, if you understand a purpose for what you're doing or what you're trying to accomplish and you have a picture for it, then the meaning piece of that and identifying those simple pieces that are going to make that picture or purpose happen best gets to be much, much easier. Yes. Without a picture or a clear purpose, it gets to be very easy to stay in the morass of complexity and never pull out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a suggestion I might... uh give our listeners. There are some of us who are privileged to be able to take, you know, long-term retreats. Hey, I went to a a monastery and I had a four-day weekend retreat. And and that's, that's privileged for those of us who have the resources to do that. But even if only you have a half a day, (laughs) take a half a day on your calendar sometime and say, I'm just shutting down. Device is turned off. I'm eliminating all possible distractions. And I'm just going to think about what is important to me, what my pictures are. And even a three or four hour period is incredibly restorative and centering and gets you back on track to achieve your pictures. And somebody does that when they view themselves as a change maker, like we've talked about in these essays, and an active agent in their own life and somebody that can create the future. Absolutely. And we're saying you can do this. You can do it. We all can do this. Absolutely. Yeah. So Lisa Bodell continues, organizations are similarly recognizing that simplification has to be their new operating system. There is an African proverb that states, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. The future belongs to those who not only embrace rapid change, but who can also focus on what matters. It is our job as practitioners of the future to teach everyone how to do just that. So simplification, we just talked about that. Another wonderful quote from her on that important topic. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. 
the word that sprung up to my mind in reading that was connection. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that's one of our ideals, right? Yes. Is our connectivity yep. to everybody in the world. Community of caring. Community of caring. Yeah. And so, again, just a lot of underscoring of, of items that we've talked about before. Yeah, absolutely. So just one addition to this quote here from Lisa Bodell. I've worked with a lot of organizations and individuals who come to me and say, I have 23 priorities to accomplish in my performance assessment this year. And I just hang my head in sorrow. Choose five. Right. Choose five that are the most meaningful, that are the most impactful. Right. You'll experience more joy and you'll be far more effective in achieving those five than you ever would trying to achieve 23. And it doesn't mean that in the course of a year, if we're talking about a performance review, it doesn't mean in the course of a year that there may not be 18 other things you do. Right. Or 30 or eight. It's pulling out those key ones. Yeah. Just as you said. To bring focus to them. Okay. So we often like closing our podcast with a quote. This one's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The ultimate question for a responsible man to ask is not how he is to extricate himself heroically from the affair, but how the coming generation is to live. That's a quote that certainly lifts up. We're all change makers. We're all connected. We all can do a picture of the future. So, what are your pictures? What are your perspectives? What are your ideals? What is your influence to use? We thank you for listening and hope to see you again soon. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.